Hi, and welcome back to Miss Macintosh, my darling, the commentary. We are on chapter 42. It's a beautiful day out. It's supposed to get pretty hot, but it's early enough it's still... Well, oh, no, it is. Huh. I don't know. It's grayed out. <clears throat> it is a little bit later, but still feels awesome. I don't want summer to end. Okay, but, you know big cycle um we're on chapter 42 this is a long chapter i'm going to try and get it done in one setting it's definitely going to take an hour um or i might if it runs a little bit over um i'll try i'll just record back to back um podcasts of it so we will get it done so that by tomorrow i should be done with 43 and 44 that would be the end of volume one, and I will be able, first uh, of September, to republish the Kindle book and start the publishing for the paperback and hardback on Amazon. So, so yeah, we're on schedule. Chapter 42, character list, Vera Cartwheel's narrator, Catherine Cartwheel, Mr. Spitzer, and Cousin Hannah. We've been with these guys for a while. We're going to be with them until, like, for chapter 60-something. Synopsis, Catherine believes she has visited Cousin Hannah so they could have one last conversation and say their goodbyes. Mr. Spitzer humors her, even though he knows both women are homebound. Mr. Spitzer was there during Cousin Hannah's last days and explained the experience. Oh, so we start to get, okay, we start to get Mr. Spitzer and Cousin Hannah. Uh, Paragraph one, Vera claims her mother Catherine travels through the house in the carriage with a black coachman and four white horses. That symbolizes her consciousness, her body, her will. Um, It's been talked about a couple places. Vera heard her calling out directions to the coachman. She complained it was the congested traveling through the house. It was congested traveling through the house. Two, Catherine's carriage is made of glass. The house is decorated with gold and tapestries. She came to sleeping Boston to visit cousin Hannah. The coachman arises out of those dreams which knew neither death nor time nor love, for no dream dies except into another dream. She visited cousin Hannah while she was Catherine and not the opium lady. Argosies are large ships. Asphodel may refer to Asphodelus in Greek legend as one of the most famous plants. Plants connected with the dead and the underworld. It is part of the Asphodel meadows where ordinary souls are sent to live after death. Vera says Catherine talked about her farewell visit to Cousin Hannah. Cousin Hannah was so withered that Catherine thought she was an ancient pharaoh sleeping in a swan boat, perhaps in its nocturnal passage following the moon around the earth. Three, Mr. Spitzer knew that this visit between Catherine and Cousin Hannah could not have taken place, for both ladies were bedridden. Mr. Spitzer still appreciated Catherine's knowledge of traffic and roads. Mr. Spitzer says he was so victimized by routine itself that he did not notice many of those details which he took for granted, being unable to live by a continual surprise, unable to die by a continual surprise, and gearing himself at all times to the unexpected as if it were the expected, as if no new surprise could ever assault him who was always surprised and valued his dignity perhaps more than his life. Perhaps he had already taken his last step. Four, Mr. Spitzer says he was grateful to Catherine, the opium lady, even though there was inconsistencies in her story from what he saw, was able to witness the suffrage captain's probable last days upon this earth. He had been preoccupied at that time, as usual, by his quasi-legal interests. 
searching for lost heirs, estates, castles, and porches. He also searched through records of population, graveyard registers, birth registers, and census reports. Someone always seemed to be missing. Mr. Spitzer felt like he was always the person that was missing. He was always precariously absent. Epithalium, Epithalmium is a poem written specifically for the bride on the way to her marital chamber. He composed sad music and odes for marriage or for death. Mr. Spitzer was also involved by an inherited project to resurrect all the sunken ships of the world. He thought that this world itself was a sunken star, a ship which had gone down with storm bells ringing and with all hands lost and wreckage floating on the waves of dawn. So much had been lost forever. Mr. Spitzer felt he was the one sunken and covered with barnacles with water flowing from his mouth. I'm going to shorten something. There's a big motif here with sunken ships and water imagery. Five, Mr. Spitzer had a list of ships which had gone down in the approximate location in which they had disappeared both to longitude and latitude. Sometimes they were insurmountable difficulties because things changed and moved. The reports were not always to be trusted. Sometimes there were no eyewitnesses. Six, Mr. Spitzer studied the lists of the lost ships. Racehorse, lost in the China Sea, may refer to HMS Racehorse in 1864, which sank off the China coast. There was no record of a great Mandarin on the ship. <clears throat> All sorts of boats vanished. Oceanus was a titan son of Uranus and Gaia, and the husband of his sister Theus is Greek mythology, in Greek mythology. He is the father of the water gods and the great river that circles the world. Arcturus is the brightest star in the northern constellation of Boots. Ptarmigan is a bird in the grouse subfamily. Nautilus is a marine mollusk. Perius may refer to Perius, Perius, which is a port city within Athens, within the Athens urban area. Seven, Mr. Spitzer was particularly fascinated by those ships which had left no wreckage, those which had disappeared without trace, leaving great doubt as to where they were. He also studied lists of passengers, especially ships which had not carried names of passengers or which had carried mysterious passengers. He often thought he was a supernumerary, supernumerary passenger who darkly hidden from him was his soul. Supernumerary is exceeding the usual stated or prescribed number. Mr. Spitzer was also concerned by contraband cargoes. Mr. Spitzer claimed his best friends were rope makers, sail makers. One he knew had strung his ship like a violin and played the strings with his bow in every storm of 10,000 whistling voices. Mr. Spitzer didn't believe him and sought for the elements of harmony, but this was chaos. Mr. Spitzer dreamed about all the lost things. Mr. Spitzer wondered when would that time come, bringing with it the fullness of days. It would never come, he knew, at least not within this, his own lifetime. It would come only when he was dead, perhaps not even then, for he would not always remember himself a firefly. Mr. Spitzer was happy that Catherine had a dream life and was able to visit places and say farewell to the resplendent suffrage captain before she passed away. <clears throat> Nine, Vera makes it clear that Catherine's farewell visit was only in the realm of imagination. Mr. Spitzer wonders if fair wonders if a farewell visit could only happen in imagination, for was not farewell the only one perpetual memory even when it had taken place? 
Farewell was a matter of opinion as the time, the place, the person. He felt this way because he had been saying goodbye to Catherine his whole life. Mr. Spitzer felt he couldn't say goodbye to anyone because he'd never said goodbye to his brother. The memory of his brother sustained him and his brother had not said farewell to life. Should not eternal recurrence be the one law of life and should not the great lamplighter go, going his rounds through the darkened heavens light that lamp which had gone out was missing shining through the clouds? God and light have been, have been closely linked in the Bible. Symbolism of lighting lamps can be found in many religions around the world. There is also a book from 1854 called The Lamplighter that was a bestseller at the time. It is about an orphan that is taken in by a lamplighter and raised with love and taught virtue and religious faith. Oh my God, yet another book. Okay. Ms. McIntosh, my darling, is the king, queen, all royalty of intertextuality. Vera says her mother Catherine passed through the rooms of the house in her carriage and through many places until the coachman took her to cousin Hannah. Catherine exited the carriage and told the coachman to leave. During this journey, the horses were sleeping. Catherine entered cousin Hannah's room where she was scarcely recognizable. They stretched out like a clouded landscape no one else had ever visited. As my mother's visit had not occurred in time or space, there was no way of questioning it, of subjecting it to the test of validity. 11. Catherine will walk through the house as if she were healthy and knew where she was going. She was now that visitor, that unverifiable phantom she dreamed. She had conversed with Cousin Hannah for a few enchanting minutes. 12. Mr. Spitzer understood Catherine up to this point, my mother dreaming this visit, just to the extent that, as it had transpired in a dream, he felt that the actuality could not compete. For how could he arrange that which was or would be real? 13. Mr. Spitzer could not have easily arranged this meeting. These things must happen of themselves. They needed not his intervention. Life was a dream, and death was another dream, as he had often observed, and even a dream was a dream. It would make no difference if Catherine and Cousin Hannah only dreamed they met and said farewell. So Mr. Spitzer listened to Catherine's story about how she visited Cousin Hannah and was not surprised by the understandable errors she might have made by failures of conformity as between the dream and the reality, which was real except that it was missing. Seldom had he found a complete accord between one person's view of life and another person's view. 14. Mr. Spitzer was surprised by Cousin Hannah also saying Catherine had visited her and talked. Cousin Hannah remembered what Catherine wore. Mr. Spitzer had no doubt that it was my mother who bade Cousin Hannah to arise, go with her, cast off these mortal chains. 15. Cousin Hannah could not follow Catherine since her great career was drawing to a close. Mr. Spitzer came from the living to the dying, as one who came from the dead to the dying, as one who came from the dead to the dead, he sometimes thought, or actually from the living to the living. Mr. Spitzer thought of himself as an ambassador from one world to another world, although he doubtless never would know which ambassador he was, which world it was. There were not matters for him, these were not matters for him to ascertain. When Mr. Spitzer came the last time, the door opened before he could knock. The long hallway was decorated with the hunting trophies that with their great mournful eyes staring at him almost reproachfully as if it were he who had slain them, he who was responsible for the death of all sensual life and love, though quite the opposite was true, those great moose heads reflected in dim mirrors like the idea of immortality, which has no separate existence. There was nothing feminine, nothing evasive in, in cousin Hannah's house. There were only masculine trophies. Cousin Hannah had lived in those last fleeting years as one whom time had outdistanced. One who believed, one believed already dead by an ungrateful world, one passed over and forgotten. Mr. Spitzer would have congratulated her on her victory, but Cousin Hannah had forgotten him long ago. 
16 Cousin Hannah should have had a great deal of fanfare at her passing. 17 cousin, Since Cousin Hannah had outlived her fame, and no one remembered that war in which she had fought, then she might have been dying at last of a broken heart, just as if she had not escaped throughout her entire life from subjection, subjection to human love or a divine love. Even the people she had rescued had forgotten her or maybe died before her. Cousin Hannah had outlived all of them. No one left home to follow her. Though always by indirection, she had broken the hearts of many men. She had not found what she was looking for or any object of her quest. Beau Sabreur means a dashing adventurer. Mr. Spitzer thought that the body had outlived the soul or the soul had outlived the body. When we talk about Cousin Hannah and her crusade, um, uh, outlived her fame. Um, that brings to mind the article in the New York Times, I think it was around 2013, about Shulamith Firestone, who ended up suffering from schizophrenia and died, apparently having starved herself to death in her apartment in New York City. And then a bunch of feminists from that time, it was the 60s, 70s, and they got to, and they were going over the fact that everyone who were pioneers in the U.S. for that women's movement, um, you know, didn't do well in later life. Like they just, they didn't. That's what reminds me, what they're talking about here that reminds me of that. So I think I'll put a reference there for that. Mr. Spitzer, hold on just a second. Mr. Spitzer thought that he was too early or too late, while at other times he had missed a person in a meeting because he'd been on time. He wandered around Cousin Hannah's house. Peloponnesian Wars was an ancient Greek war fought between Athens and the Peloponnesian League, Sparta. The Siege of Rome by Hannibal may refer to the Second Punic War, where Hannibal tried to lure the Romans to fight. The Saracen Wars may refer to the Arab raid against Rome. The Civil War may refer to the American Civil War fought against the Confederate States. The Boer War may refer to the Second Boer War when Boer irregulars and militia attacked colonial settlements in nearby British colonies. Balkan Wars are a series of conflicts that took place between 1912 and 1918. Custer's Last Sand, also known as Battle of Little Bighorn or Battle of Greasy Grass, between Plains Indians and the U.S. military. Sheridan's March may refer to Sheridan's March to the Sea, which was a military campaign of the American Civil War through Georgia. Paul Revere's Ride is an 1860 poem by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow that commemorates the actions of Paul Revere on April 18, 1775. Minutemen were civilian colonists who independently formed militia companies to fight during the American Revolution. The Siege of Atlanta may refer to the Battle of Atlanta during the American Civil War. The Burning of Carthage may refer to the Siege of Carthage or the Third Punic War where Romans attacked and destroyed Carthage. The taking of Venice was done by Napoleon Bonaparte and the Austrians in 1797. There were also many pictures of Cousin Hannah when she was at the peak of her glorious career upon this earth, when many men had trembled at the mere thought of her, when many women had swooned at her approach. 
Napoleon was a French military and political leader who rose to prominence during the French Revolution. Waterloo Napoleon was defeated in the Battle of oh, Waterloo. Oh, Waterloo Napoleon. So that's got to be... I'm going to word it this way. Change that. Uh, Waterloo may refer to Napoleon who was defeated in the Battle of Waterloo by the Duke of Wellington. Mr. Spitzer certainly envied her the power, passion, energy of her life, though believing that it had been directed into the narrow channels of a lost cause. 19. Mr. Spitzer remembers Cousin Hannah organizing a blacksmith's union when there were no blacksmiths. He also remembers that she tried to organize the pickets around an old clock. So her life crumbled. All her years seemed only this dying moment, and all her journeys might have been a dream like, so like his own needless journeys back and forth. Time had never advanced for her. Mr. Spitzer thought she was hysterical and nervous. Since ancient Greece, hysteria was an umbrella term for numerous symptoms that reinforced harmful stereotypes about women's sex and gender. Often it was used to pathologize everything men found unmanageable in women. And he's also talking about, well, it's another... I know I make reference to it later about uh, in a movie called Ghost where someone does, it's one of the few speaking parts in the movie where some, someone does a soliloquy or a monologue about the passage of time and how eventually nothing matters. Like everything you do doesn't matter because you, you die and everything. Everyone who knows you die and everyone who knows them and dies and that da, 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 just keeps going on and on. 20. Many pictures of foreign places hung on Cousin Hannah's walls. Taj Mahal is an ivory-white marble mausoleum in Agra, India. Barouche is a large open four-wheeled carriage drawn by two horses. 21. Mr. Spitzer had searched through all manner of documents about Cousin Hannah and found many mysteries of her career which he was able to put together. Lacune is a blank space or a missing part. A man died not necessarily at the hour of his death. Forever would a lost psyche wander down the wind. From talking with Cousin Hannah, Mr. Spitzer had pieced together another life she had lived. Despite her public persona, Cousin Hannah had a hidden existence which was the opposite of what had been supposed by the majority. Mr. Spitzer believed every person had two opposite parts. 22. Mr. Spitzer could only guess what it might be exactly. How many times he had trembled at the edge of that great abyss lying in the path of every mortal traveler. 23. Mr. Spitzer knew in Boston Cousin Hannah was thought of as a virgin warrior who would seem to evoke no answering romance that she had fought against man. In the East, she was known as Al-Hamid and that she had a great secret. Al-Hamid may refer to a Saudi poet, Arabic professor, and human rights activist. One of the beautiful names of Allah, Al-Hamid, means the praiseworthy, laudable one, and the object of all praise. Uh, let me check on this Al-Hamid because I need to make sure that the date is correct. Like... Usually I'm pretty good at it. Um, to make sure that the... No, yeah, I'm going to take this out. Oh, is this the one they killed? Yeah. Okay, he was born in 1950. So I'm going to assume... I'm gonna have to assume that that he that his poetry and stuff wouldn't have been available to Margaret Young during the time that she wrote this book. So I'll have to take that out of here. 
but he was an Arabic professor, human rights activist, co-founder of the Saudi Civil and Political Rights Association. He was in prison several times, and then he was killed in custody. So there you go. But I will take that out of there. So in other words, we will probably go with One of the beautiful names of Allah, Al-Hamid, means the praiseworthy, laudable one, the object of all praise. While Cousin Hannah traveled through the mountains, she was called the Great Moor or Black Moor. Mr. Spitzer didn't understand the significance of that yet. Here, her mystery was that she should be famous, for no man had ever really known her, a creature so mysterious that fame had only increased her mystery. It seemed to him that fame had blinded men to her in her essential beauty, that of deprivation, of absence of being. They had judged only by the externals, which were certainly never very prepossessing, never in her favor. He describes her as the hawk, rapacious, fierce. No tender sentiment had ever been hers when she was alive. Even so, Mr. Spitzer thought that there must have been hidden somewhere in this world a timid man who had loved her. 24. Mr. Spitzer heard outlandish rumors of Cousin Hannah and lost loves. He thought she was leaving this life, which in a sense she had never known, for each one dies must... Sorry. Okay. For each who dies must leave that life he did not know, did not dream, did not live. Much must be forever unexperienced and merely hypothetical, a premise never to be pursued, and that was always death, even in this life. For each who dies must die twice. And there's a whole theme, this whole running thread through the book about dying twice. The tumult and the sorrow of her life once more, but about dying twice, but Miss McIntosh comments on Miss McIntosh comments on dying twice as the poor can only afford to die once. The tumult and the sorrow of her life once more returned. Even as he watched, he had thought that perhaps she had never recognized the personal nature of her sorrow, but he had been wrong. Twenty-five, Mr. Spitzer thought even Cousin Hannah had found that she could not escape. Her inner life was still a mystery. Twenty-six, Mr. Spitzer noticed many hidden facets of Cousin Hannah's life. Time passed not the same from dusk to dawn, Mr. Spitzer knew, living now from day, night to day as he had once lived from day to night. Cousin Hannah's life, instead of being a flight away from the heart of life as he had imagined, instead of being solitary as the ace of spades, was solitary as the ace of hearts, was one long act of love, perhaps a ghostly love, but no less real because of being that. Perhaps it was a celestial love or the nearest one might come to the devastate, or the nearest one might come to the devastate, excuse me, or the nearest one might come to the devastating perfection. Mr. Spitzer now thought there might always have been a secret partner in her grief, someone who shared her destiny, someone who had lost this game of life with her or played for higher stakes than others knew. Mr. Spitzer thought Cousin Hannah was irrational, like all great lovers of all lost loves. He wondered if only the irrational saved us from the last death once died. Mr. Spitzer could not judge the dying or the dead. He would be unconscious at that moment when he ought to be able to judge, and thus he would never know the difference between right and left, good and evil, love and hate. 27. Mr. Spitzer heard rumors that Cousin Hannah had long ago left the bridegroom waiting at the church door. No one knew who he was or had seen his face. Cousin Hannah said it was the other way. It was the gentleman who left the bride at the church door, he who abandoned her. Mr. Spitzer didn't believe her. Other rumors said the bridegroom had died because of his grief and others that he had never married and lived a long time. For timid souls adventure but once, and if they are disappointed, will never be disappointed again. That they needed no further invitation to withdraw from life. They withdrew at the first blow, perhaps before the first blow was struck. 
Not twice would they be rebuked, and some not even once. 28. Mr. Spitzer thought that maybe the bridegroom thought he'd dodged a bullet in not marrying Cousin Hannah. Mr. Spitzer didn't know one way or the other. 29. Mr. Spitzer knew that after these rumors, start, rumors started, Cousin Hannah had hyphenated her name and changed her signature, signing her name ever afterward, C.H. Fremont Snowden, doing so upon the advice of a Boston numerologist who was a great authority upon the mysteries of the East. C.H. Cousin Hannah? Fremont Snowden. Mr. Spitzer only came out at night when he used to go out during the day, and now he preferred the creatures of night, the phantoms fleeing at dawn. Mr. Spitzer believed that Cousin Hannah had never given up her idealism, but he knew now he was wrong. Mr. Spitzer now knew there had always been a few timid men camping on her clouded trail. He had also heard that a great sheik had come to her aid, backing her because, as he had written to her, he considered himself the chief victim of the heron system, that it was he who was trapped, he who wished to escape. The sheik had given her bags of gold. Mr. Spitzer thought other husbands were grateful for Cousin Hannah pushing her suffrage, me suffrage message, which would release them from bondage. Mr. Spitzer expected to find a secret man in Cousin Hannah's life, but he was surprised to find at the last moment a secret woman, a bride. So, okay, remember we went back that Catherine accused Hannah by saying she was like Revelations 14, 8, the, uh, the fallen Babylon, the great have fallen, Babylon has fallen and gotten people to drink the wine of her immorality. So back at that time, it would have been immoral for a woman to love another woman. And so that's the thing that we might as well get into it now that we're, you know, Cousin Hannah's here and we're going to be with her for the next 10, 20 chapters, 10, 15 chapters at least. Um, so, so there's this big thing going on in Cousin, Han on Cousin Hannah's deathbed about who it is that she's mourning for. She's mourning over someone, someone who died, and she calls it a skirt, her skirt. And what we, and what, it's kind of a, so he's calling it a secret woman. So there's a chance that he did, or she did, fall in love with another woman, had a love affair with another woman, and uh, and that is her lost skirt. And that that along with Jock, who was Catherine's husband, who died during an expedition, this skirt, cousin Hannah's skirt, also died. Uh, this young woman, this maiden. So we go on about that. Uh, men do benefit from equal rights. If a man is perceived as feminine, then he is not considered a real man. This supports to toxic masculinity. I found another name for it. Oh, it was toxic. Hegemonic? Hegemonic masculinity. Oh, I can't remember. It's, it call, they call it toxic, ma toxic masculinity. Men would have, and there's more about this when we go into gender. Men would have more freedom to express themselves through careers, taking family time, parental life, and flexible work schedules. Men will not be pressured to conform to the stereotypical male. In the coming chapters, we will hear more from Cousin Hannah about this secret woman that I already mentioned, and we'll talk about this in gender. Um, I found some really good, really cool in uh, research on the myth of masculinity, and um, and someone uh, I think it was Pleck who did a metadata analysis of everything written about men in I'm assume Western culture, probably, probably the U.S. since that's where it was published um, since the 1930s. And 
and found all these inconsistencies or really lies, misogyny, like all these things, like from the 1930s up to the present when that was published, was about 50 years, covered about 40, 50 years. And so that was really interesting. Um, another one was just a, in a, it's behind a paywall, but they did one paper of this panel uh, in this from the 70s. I, I found a lot of good information on it. Um, um, and so what they try to, so what they try to do when they're when they're talking about um, these gender roles and stereotypes and stuff, they're trying to show that that men would benefit too from letting go of these stereotypes about themselves and also women. Thirty, Mr. Spitzer now saw all contradictions resolving themselves and was not the body reunited to the soul by death. Cousin Hannah had always gone against the grain of the accepted opinions. 31, Mr. Spitzer promised himself that no matter what he saw on her deathbed, he would show no shock or surprise, no bewilderment. Mr. Spitzer thought death was the great innovator and capable of so many changes as life, perhaps more than life. Mr. Spitzer was determined to conduct himself properly at Cousin Hannah's deathbed. 33, Mr. Spitzer was surprised how Cousin Hannah's bedroom was decorated. Everything in it was white and her tent was like a great desert tent. She slept in a white sheet wrapped around her like a winding shroud and her feet bare and sticking out. Mr. Spitzer, Mr. Spitzer thought this must be a tradition from the East, and it is. Ahasuerus was a king and the husband of Esther in the Bible. He must behave as if he had crossed a far frontier. Let me add a note here. And there's a lot of this winding and unwinding of, of different things. Catherine believed it was thread. Uh, Cousin Hannah's the winding and unwinding of sheets, sails, this, this idea that the world can be wound and unwound. 34. In the East, one never wished a friend good night without hastily adding good morning. Mr. Spitzer thought not to say these two together would be considered rude, so thought that not to... Uh, thought not saying sorry these two together would be considered rude so he always said both to cousin Hannah in Arabic the formal phrase is tuzba ala kahir which can be translated to may you wake up to a good morning or wishing someone good night and good morning 35 Mr. Spitzer thought these oh and that kind of plays in oh okay because I found out something else did I already talk about it? I had to have um, where, uh, yes, the trans, trans, uh, the traveling of the soul during sleep, um, uh, in Islam, they believe when you sleep, the soul goes to Allah who judges it. And if you're judged worthy, you get to wake up. If you don't, you die. So that makes, that makes this, uh, saying about a good night and a good morning because, um, I bet that's tied to it in that way. Oh, cool. 35. Mr. Spitzer thought these were the last words he said to Cousin Hannah before she died. He thought, oh, yes, might there be resurrection and eternal life. 36. Cousin Hannah looked at Mr. Spitzer when she heard him. Her face did not change its rigid expression, for her features were frozen by pain or age into one great grimace as near to laughter as to sorrow. These emotions being perhaps no longer distinguishable and perhaps of no importance, all values changing. 
for perhaps happiness would be sorrow over there, or sorrow would be happiness, or they would be the same. Mr. Spitzer didn't know which emotion or if Cousin Hannah thought he, she was looking at Joaquim or Perone. Cousin Hannah would take this tantalizing enigma to her grave. Oh, how he wished that she had told him the great secret. 37. Mr. Spitzer wished Cousin Hannah had said if she saw him or his dead brother or if she saw his brother Perone's spirit. It is possible that death, like love, makes for drawing into a narrow house before the spirit flees or fails. 38. Mr. Spitzer believed Cousin Hannah should recognize him because of his faithfulness and because he was the old watcher of all dying stars, that it was he who came with messages of love or hope, he who had returned in spite of all those years in which she had ignored him. Mr. Spitzer thought she looked like an old patriarch. Cousin Hannah was almost unrecognizable except that he knew he was in the right house. For what was the individual to him who had lived beyond all petty concerns of mine and thine and here and there and then and now, and had long ago seen the individual fading like a shadow when the light appears, or like the light before the sweep of the advancing darkness? Mr. Spitzer's ideal immortality would include the body. He would sooner let the spirit go if there must be a choice. 39. Mr. Spitzer believed there was no one so expert as he in conducting a dying soul on its last journey which he likened to a voyage. 40. Mr. Spitzer believed he was the first man to penetrate that secret citadel, as he was perhaps also the last. There was no reference or definition of iridulations. It may be an error was supposed to be undulations um, in the book. I don't know. We'll check it out when the new edition is released. Mr. Spitzer heard and remembered things like in the room. He had been too often seduced out of his wits. He thought all great climaxes were coming together now in this dim room. Like he's finally going to get the answer, Mr. Spitzer, you know, who grief over his brother's death. And he's finally going to get the answer he wants, this spiritual man of, well, so what finally happens after you die? Mr. Spitzer thought Cousin Hannah was already slipping away and may not recognize him at all. He considered himself this great lamp bearer with his lamp light dimly gleaming. He would accompany her as far as man might go into that other realm, even though everyone traveled the final distance alone. Or maybe it was Mr. Spitzer who was in darkness, having only a blind man's memory of light, just as his might be only a deaf man's memory of sound, a deaf man's memory of life. Mr. Spitzer had a sorrowful idea that he was that star which, though brightly shining, sees not its own light. He was that little gatekeeper who did not know which gates he kept. He was at the edge of darkness, but did not know upon which side the darkness was. And maybe Cousin Hannah lived backwards through time. He had seen these changes before. 42. Mr. Spitzer thought time might be happening all at once. There might be retrieved that love which time had lost, and there might be delivered that letter which was dropped into a slot thousands of years ago, and yet it seemed to him that there was no return, no return of the living or of the dead. 43. Mr. Spitzer saw Cousin Hannah was dying as an old soldier who had stormed the last barricade, an old captain of the horse, an old army general who had suffered greater wounds than this last wound she suffered. For it was the one which he believed would not be remembered by her, nor would it be remembered on which side she had perished. So often at the last moment one changed one's mind, so often one died on neutral ground. He also saw a marble statue of Aphrodite and thought it was out of place in her house. Aphrodite is the ancient Greek goddess associated with love. Come on, let me fix this. Uh, Aphrodite is an ancient Greek god associated with love, lust, beauty, pleasure, passion, and procreation. Mr. Spitzer didn't know how to announce his present presence. He had maintained his silence as she had 
stared with unbelieving grief at him, perhaps thinking he was an apparition, as he most certainly was not. 44, Mr. Spitzer said he was tactful as usual, and Cousin Hannah, for she did not greet him either then or later, or call out his name in acknowledgement of her great mistake. In tribute to his triumph over her in shadowed valleys, truly her indifference had seemed boundless, not limited by life, this feeble spark. 45, Mr. Spitzer sat and wondered, why did she leave him in the darkness? Why was she unable to concentrate upon that illumination he brought to her? Tell him who he was on either side of the great starry abyss. Cousin Hannah instead writhed and cried out. Mr. Spitzer thought perhaps his great golden boat had sunk long before the birth of the world and there was only this wreckage. He considered himself the great explorer of desolate mountain peaks looming through miles of clouds and frozen bays like eyes or sunken moons and shadowed valleys. No one had ever crossed before, albeit his only skiff was a butterfly in a storm cloud. Okay, we're going to... Forty-six, Mr. Spitzer felt alive and thought it was only because Cousin Hannah would soon be dead. It was she who would finally escape, he had no doubt, and go where he could not. It had always been this great problem that he could not make himself known. Mr. Spitzer felt Cousin Hannah, even though she had fought against a man now and needed a protector, a man of strength and verity, to protect her against these dashing elements, a brave companion to conduct her through the everlasting darkness, never to abandon her until she had come to port. So you can see Mr. Spitzer is a spiritual man and that... Um, a spiritual man who still like on someone it, it reminds me of someone a priest or someone on a person's deathbed and they're trying to get them to confess and accept last rites and savior and everything and um that that it, it was his his great problem that he could not make himself known like he couldn't like he couldn't get that to a cross to them like someone who doesn't accept dying uh, salvation you know, on their deathbed or, or that kind of thing. That reminds me of that. Um, Mr. Spitzer wished he could be that person, but he thought he was too old and uncertain of himself and had faint thoughts. 47. Mr. Spitzer felt his reason failed him most when he needed it most, while Cousin Hannah was wild, frightening him so that he was at a loss as to what to think, say, feel, how to conduct himself. He was at a loss at what to do since Cousin Hannah had written him off years ago. Mr. Spitzer believed his grief, which gave him sympathy, no doubt for all living things, had identified him and identified him with all others, this which caused him to th sympathize even with her. Still, Cousin Hannah did not see him. 48. Mr. Spitzer thought Cousin Hannah was like all flirtatious, lady, flirtatious ladies, not faithful to one who had ever been her love. She did not recognize or acknowledge him. 49. Mr. Spitzer thought Cousin Hannah was unstable and foolish, vain, temptuous, unpredictable. She took all men by surprise and shattering their most precious certitudes, violating their cherished beliefs in all ways, acting not only against the human law, but the divine law in every country, even when that law changed from border to border.
And yes, that's how men can feel on several ways concerning women. Uh, 50, Mr. Spitzer said that Cousin Hannah had seldom been at home because of her travels for suffrage. 51, Mr. Spitzer heard her labored breathing and knew she was unable to defend herself against the last assault of death. He thought she was fickle. How irresponsible this great lady was when she was dying no different from others. She would suffer the same fate as everyone else. She was unreliable at heart, fickle in death as in love, it seemed to him. He could not count on her, for hers was the secretly feminine heart. What mad dance was life, and what madder dance was death, this whirly gig of leaves and stars. Mr. Spitzer thought there was no one there to escort Cousin Hannah or who had left her. Mr. Spitzer thought it was ironical that the great bearded buccaneer of suffrage should be forgotten by those she had rescued. He thought it strange that it should be an old sentimentalist like himself, returning after years of emptiness to find out the secret hiding place of Cousin Hannah. Mr. Spitzer thought, should not death veil all ladies, both dark and fair, and should not all be as brides going to the bridegroom cold as mountain snow? 53. Mr. Spitzer asked, where was the reality beyond the apparition? Perhaps there was no answer but the void calling to the void, the darkness to the darkness. Last paragraph, 54. Mr. Spitzer knew there was still more, still some energy in Cousin Hannah. She wasn't quite dead yet. Promethean is having fire. Prometheus was a titan god of fire in ancient Greek who stole fire from the gods and gave it to humanity. Cousin Hannah did not have any servants in her house that Mr. Spitzer knew of because she permitted no inequality. He thought she might still be able to get up and take care of herself even though she was always in bed when he visited her. Mr. Spitzer was there when she started to hallucinate and cry out, Oh, is there no pavilion to hide me from the storm? Shall I not be hidden from men's eyes? All right. We have two more chapters left. Let me get that uh, done and recorded. Uh, so we'll, we'll finish by the end of August. It's, it's on Wednesday. So we'll be finished next week, Monday, Tuesday, with Volume 1. Then take a short break for the holiday. And then I'll be back in September. We'll be able to, the new published, uh, the new updated version will be out. And uh, on Kindle and um by the end of September, the paperback and the hardback. And I also should be able to do a campaign to put it free on Kindle. I will announce that uh, will announce that here and on Twitter. Um, yeah, thanks for listening. Two more chapters for volume one. Woohoo! That's that's not bad. I still gotta finish volume two. I'm at the very end though. But I think over the holiday I'll also take some time to really see if I can get uh volume two done i mean i'm on 70 chapter 75 i believe but the last and the chapter uh, i want to say 75 76 77 78 79 80 no 79 so i want to say those four chapters are relatively short they're actually like 10 pages long so they're short chapters but the last ones 80 81 82 79 80 81 82 it's like the last four chapters are long uh, there uh, so it's going to take a while and, and especially the last chapter of course i want to spend a lot of time on but anyways um so volume two uh, at least with the first draft should be done and then we'll uh after the first week of after the holiday we'll start the podcast will start on volume two and while that's going i will be working 
uh, behind the scenes on volume three with, I don't know what to call it. I think I changed the name. Um, oh yeah, just exploring the masterpiece. Like we're going to go into all these themes. But anyways, I'll bring that up then. We still have a ways to go. Anywho, thank you for listening. Have a great day. Thanks. Bye.